Spanish. I got chills. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Director's Club. I'm your host, Jim Laskowski, wishing you a happy holiday, despite the year that was 2020. Uh, and for the final episode of the year, I want to end with a filmmaker whose work I revisit often because it infuses me with humanity and humor and all sorts of conflicting emotions in a good way. Uh, I'm talking about James L. Brooks, and with me today are two new guests to the show that I couldn't be more excited to talk about. They are the hosts of one of my new favorite shows out there, Screen Drafts. Please welcome Clay Keller and Ryan Marker. Yo. Hey there. How's it going? going on? How you doing, man? Doing fine. Going? Good. Doing fine. Excellent. Bright and early Excellent. for me on a on a Sunday True. morning. But my bright and early is maybe not the same as everyone else's bright and early. But I'm I'm invigorated. We usually podcast where Ryan and I late in the evening and a couple of drinks in. Uh, so I'm I'm yes. curious to see what I've our noticed. vibe is like in the morning with um, no <laughs> inebriation at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've kind of gotten used to this. I mean, maybe it's the caffeine that helps. And I know some people, like a lot of songwriters, they like to record first thing in the morning. And for me, it takes a while to get going. But when I do, I feel like early afternoon is when I peak. But mm -hmm. late at night, I guess I'm not the night owl I used to be. It's like after eight or nine o'clock, I'm my brain shuts down. So that's why I don't podcast too much in that at night anymore. I feel like to James L. Brooks is a director that I, I, I feel like it's a morning conversation. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I Maybe it's just that. a vibe that I'm feeling, but I kind of feel like James L. Brooks is definitely a morning Do guy. Do you feel like James L. Brooks writes in the morning or, or at night? Definitely he feels morning. Like, he feels like a morning so. writer? Absolutely yeah. morning. Absolutely. A lot of these characters feel caffeinated, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have a lot of energy. <laughs> Right, right um, exactly. Yeah, but for the intro, real quickly, I, w I wanted to um, basically celebrate one on, sc on screen drafts since it turns a love of film into two things I enjoy, uh, a game show and curating a list, pretty much. <laughs> uh, Clay, really quickly, why don't you talk about its origins, how the show got started, and who came up with this incredibly uh, awesome screen idea. Screen drafts origins. Um, actually, we're coming up on not not the fifth anniversary of the screen drafts show itself, which we started a little over two years ago. But back, um, Ryan and I used to host a podcast called the Vidiots Video Store Show, which was right. when Ryan and I both worked at um, the original Vidiots in Santa Monica, California. There's soon going to be a new, very spectacular incarnation of the Vidiots Foundation uh, in L.A. But at the old store, uh, I started a podcast with actually my buddy Darren Franich um, from Entertainment Weekly, who's a frequent guest on Screen Drafts. Um, that was uh, Ryan's predecessor. And um, in our very first season... Uh, we started that show in, like, October. We got to the end of, of the year, and um, we wanted to do the obligatory end-of-the-year, best-of-the-year list episode. Um, and, and it was really just as simple as I looked at every other publication and podcast, and they all just did list episodes that were essentially identical. And I was like, what, what is just something we could do to make it just a little bit different? Just anything to just mix it up just a little bit. Um, and it, it, 
I don't remember the origins. I think it was just an idea I had. I was like, well, what if we alternate? It'll be competitive. It'll, 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 um, you know, m m make it a little bit more exciting. And in a way, it will expose what I think is sort of the inherent silliness of the objective top list. Because, you know, in, yeah. in the editorial meetings at magazines or, or whatever, you know, when they put together a best of the year list, it's not, there's nothing objective about that. It is politics and it is, you know, talking about like, oh, I like this one. I like the, well, I'll give you this for this and all this. And, and I thought it, kind of taking that conversation, the, um, the give and take and all of that and putting it, using that as content would be interesting. So anyway, um, we did that in 2015, December 2015 for, was the first time we ever did uh, a draft style show. Uh, so we're coming up on the fifth, the fifth anniversary of the, of the format. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's, I, I feel like Ryan, when he was, uh, before he was co-hosting the show and was a listener, was a little confounded by the, <laughs> by the idea. That true, Ryan? <laughs> well, that was true all along the way. When I remember the <laughs> Clay was like, originally, I, I remember him asking me to co-host the podcast of Vidious Video Store. And I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, do we really need to do that? It's a video store. Radio on my phone. Uh, Clay, I don't know. <laughs> and then he ended up doing it with Darren. And, of course, they're having such a grand time. I'm like, oh, well, I want to get in on that. So I think I sat in with them. I think my first show was about Batman. Do you remember that, Clay? I'm pretty sure yeah, I, I stepped right. on for Batman. And I, I don't know whether that was a draft or not or just a discussion of all the Batmans. But regardless, I think it might the have been a draft. The drafts used to be might have been my more first. impromptu. We'd be like, "Oh, okay, hey, let's do let's do a Batman draft." <laughs> let's do and a we'd draft. just do it, and it was, and <laughs> yeah. it would be thirty minutes instead of the uh, three and a half hour opus that we subject people to now. Right. Yeah, it was like tacked on to the end of a show. Um, but yeah, then then <laughs> and now it is the full. Then when Vidiots, um, uh, you know, left when the physical store closed. Uh, and all of us clerks kind of just became, um, you know, uh, clerks Norms. emeritus, spiritually connected to the idea of vidiots until it could, you know, come back. Um, we stopped doing the podcast, but I wanted to keep, uh, you know, I at that point there was no way my life would have structure without a podcast. So I pitched uh, <laughs> pitched Ryan uh, on the idea of continuing uh, as just the drafts, and then we we kind of kicked that up really quickly. Um, it just ported right over, just taking that that uh, idea out of out of the video show and expanding it, uh, and and it was great. Yeah, our f just we had great guests from the beginning, and it's uh, it's just it's been a blast. Also, it was a really good benefit. I mean, it's a benefit and a loss. But when Vidiots went away, I ended up as the general manager of the Arrow, and we ended up mm. doing our drafts at a table on the stage at the Arrow, which ended up being this own fun like party like <laughs> environment that, you know, we're now recreating. And I think it's pretty, you know, it's, it's seamless when it comes to the pandemic, but you know, in those early drafts, I think it was a lot of fun to just sit around a table, talk movies, have cards, have pizza, have yeah. beer, you know, and record it all. And that sort of, I think was a big part yeah, of people the, would, people you know, would, the uh, would arrive and be like, I can't believe you made me drive to Santa Monica. And then they would uh, see the space uh, and, and, and get into it and be like, oh, this was actually very fun. For people who are not in Los Angeles, yeah. the Arrow uh, is a, an historic um, single-screen movie house from the 40s uh, that is part of the American yeah. Cinematheque. And actually, 
the eagle-eyed viewer will spot the arrow uh, as the uh, location, the background setting of a scene in James L. Brooks's I'll Do Anything. Oh, my gosh. I freaked out. I freaked (laughs) out. I took pictures of it. I sent it to all my old employees, and it it was wonderful. Yeah, well... A real highlight of that particular movie. Before all this happened, I actually had plans to finally come out to L.A. and do a little mini tour of, of theaters and things because uh, uh, I'm, I'm friends with Elric, yeah. uh, Kane, and Brian Sauer. Great guys. Because I, yeah. I sort of helped him kick off Pure Cinema Podcasts on my podcast network, the Now Playing Network. And you know, obviously they've evolved <laughs> above and beyond... And uh, we kept in touch and I said, well, I'm finally going to go out to L.A. Where should I go? And, you know, we talked about all these plans. And then, of course, what happens? Literally the the weekend, that's when the stay at home order kicked in um, for Chicago. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> that's a bummer. L.A. next there are, year. There are great yes. theaters in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know. There's so many and so, so many. much to yeah. see as a movie nerd. I have to I have to go. Um but yeah, well, Jim, I, when you do, you'll have a great seat at the Arrow. Thank you. I look forward for to that. whatever movie we're shooting. Ryan, someday yeah. all of the people that you have promised a great seat at the Arrow to are going to show up on the same <laughs> night. and You're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well 437 <laughs> seats. So and they're all great. So I think I'll, I'll be fine. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like the Music Box Theater we have here in Chicago, which is totally my yeah. favorite theater. Um, yeah, the music box I believe is is a favorite of a friend of the a friend of our show, uh, Dane McDonald's, as uh, ah, as well. Mm, We've yeah. got a little Chicago contingent. Uh, I've I've yeah. noticed. Didn't the last which draft was it? You had three Chicago movies at the oh, top. Oh, and not that we want to spoil everything. Yeah, that was completely <laughs> completely by accident. And I, I I don't know. I probably wouldn't have even um, noticed that if. Two of the films yeah. weren't just so just a being a literally about being in Chicago, um, <laughs> right, uh, right? But yeah, we had a draft where the top three films all coincidentally were were set in the great the great Windy City. Yes, indeed. Well, it's hard for me to choose favorite episodes of the show because uh, I pretty much enjoy all of them, and I mean, there's certainly ones where I can't get over some of the <laughs> omissions, of course, like John sure. Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big oh, Drew. Yeah, that's a heartbreaker. Oh, Drew McQueen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and you've had a couple of people on your show that don't th- don't feel that Back to the Future is one of the best movies ever made. Mm. Am I mistaken? Mm. Yeah. I who was that? I don't know. Who was that for? Someone who came on once and then <laughs> was immediately stricken from my memory, <laughs> and I've never thought about it again. Hasn't been too, back too since. Painful. Yeah. Yeah. There's always surprises. That's kind of what I love about it. You know, there's, I mean, there's been a couple of episodes where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's exactly how I think that would play out. But uh, overall, it's just one of the most damn entertaining shows out there right now. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for keeping it up. Yeah. You do it weekly, don't you? We do it weekly. It is, it is a lot. It's hard for me to do monthly. I couldn't imagine doing that week. And it's because yeah. you got a lot of prep. You got a lot of watching. to do. We, and we watch know. the whole idea behind it was, look, if we bring on guests <laughs> every week and it's the really the burden is on them. I mean, R- 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 yeah. Ryan and I will will jump in on a draft occasionally. But the idea is that it's the guests who have to do all the watching. It's the guests who have to make the list. We just kind of <laughs> show up and 
you know, toss in a bon mot occasionally and I, you know, say, <laughs> hey, pick number one, go. Um, but then as it, as, it, as it went along, I just got into the rhythm of just also just doing as much prep as the guests, just just because I felt like I, I ought to because I'm on mic. You want to be so a part it's of been, it, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ryan, you do the same thing. You you prep just as much as I do. And so it's... You just... Yeah, you, you inevitably fall into it just because, I don't know, it's more fun when you're involved in a weird deep cut that yeah. they find. You're like, <laughs> oh, man, that's that's perfect. Not only that, but Clay and I do our own prediction game. Right. So therefore, that sort of forces us... To pay a little more attention, I think, than than we would otherwise. At least for oh, me, yeah. I know. I know that helps for my stakes <laughs> in terms of watching things. Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. There's nothing more fun. Uh, and, and Jim, I hope all of your listeners at this point, uh, this this conversation oh. that Ryan and I are having will be much more fun if they've heard screen drafts. Um, if you haven't, just trust us. Yeah. This is interesting. Um, the right. <laughs> Ryan, uh, uh, there's nothing more fun that, yeah, like you said, than when somebody on a topic pulls out a like a super deep cut and you also just by coincidence happen to have just watched it. It's just like, ah, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful kismet moment. Um, you got to bring back the, uh, the, the Patreon curated list with your patrons. Mm, uh, I, Cause I was a part of that. I was the one responsible for putting a uh, hump <laughs> hump day oh, on your list. Yes. The patrons versus what year was that? 2009 2009 we've only was done a few year? of those uh jim this is an exclusive yeah. we are going to do another one um Woo-hoo! in early early 2021 in january it is but it is initially going to live on the patreon page so it'll right. be uh, mm-hmm. the the patrons and then it'll be on the patreon page and then uh, you know we'll we'll have it in the quiver in case we need to take a break uh at some point uh but um uh if you're on the patreon you'll get to do that in uh 2021 but yeah jim thank you hump day was one of my picks for for that and the the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the rule is that at that point at least with that amount of patrons the rule is that if 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 even one patron put a film on their list it could not be could could not be vetoed and i think i think you were the one i think there was one yep. and it was you uh so <laughs> and then how and then how sad we lose lynn shelton i mean it's just yeah. like yeah and then you listen to the mark Marin episode where he talks about it and i'm just like oh, it's oh my god yeah. way too soon and the way and the soon. film they did i watched i i didn't get i didn't watch yeah. sort of trust until uh after she passed and and i did not know that she was was in it as well and her yeah. scenes and the way that movie ends, oh my god, it's, it's just devastating stuff. Clay, we well, never did a Lynn Shelton draft. It was—I felt like we it was to too do a Lynn Shelton. Fresh. We'll 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 do it. We'll we'll we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, there's right? enough That'd there. That'd be great, sure. Jim. Yeah. Well, um, before we launch into our overall reviews of James L. Brooks's work, we do a segment here called "What We Watched This Week." What we watched, I bet we watched lots of movies, punch on love, scream for help, wonder what we watched this week. In which we talk about a non-Brooks film that we've seen recently that we want to mention. Uh... You know, it could be something old, new, and you know something sure. that you've seen that you 
think stands out and you want to bring to people's attention. Ryan, we'll start with you this time. Um, well, Clay and I have been preparing a few episodes, so I don't want to give any of my gameplay sure. away on Yeah, that. we've been watching a lot um, of however, Olivier Essayas. <laughs> Olivier Essayas, and I also just started our Home Alone Oh, I haven't series. started Home Alone yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That'll be really been a fucking wild ride. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I swear on this? Yes, Jim? absolutely. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, but I saw uh, for the American Cinematheque, partly, um, Amazon Prime has a new documentary called Time. Right, uh, I've heard about and I haven't this. seen I, catch I haven't seen too many new movies this year. I mean, I'm, I'm way behind in my on you know watching uh, new stuff that came out. But this one really struck my struck my fancy when I watched the trailer. It's one of those documentaries that's like beautifully and poetically done. It's, it's hard to describe. It's not like slice of life. I mean, it's very much a slice of life. It's about a, a woman raising her four sons while her, her husband is in prison for a robbery. He did, you know, 30 years earlier, mm-hmm. you know, and he's in there way too long. And, you know, it, it kind of shows their life um, without, she records everything on on a little camcorder, of course, and it's just so beautifully edited. And you know, the t- the title sort of gives away that this isn't just one of those you know slice of life documentaries, but that it's more of a meditation about how time wears on us and mm-hmm. when someone is taken from us, how that time transforms who we are and how we think of life and how we behave. And you see it in this film's illustrated so beautifully. Because not only is the mother just such a powerful and strong woman who's constantly telling her sons about their dad and constantly telling their sons that, you know, there is a piece of your life that is missing right now that will return someday. Um, Those boys grow up with that in mind. And again, and there's a lot of voiceover throughout it. There's a lot of beautiful, gorgeous music. There's a lot of cutaways to just nature there's kind of a terence malick vibe Mm. that starts to be injected in it uh it's done in gorgeous black and white it's 80 minutes long and by the end of it i felt like i I couldn't breathe i mean it was just so so powerful and um yeah it it shook me that that film and i hadn't seen anything like that in quite a while you know like I I have watched a number of pandemic movies and they're just weirdly of a different type than I think when you go to the theater and you find something like that, that's sort of intended in a weird way to be seen on a big screen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a different feeling than than watching kind of, you know, the fun rom-coms that we've gotten this year or the interesting character studies. You know, there's a lot of character studies that we've seen in 2020. But this movie just struck me and and not, not to mention... I love I love documentaries on in a, in a major way, and I'm always happy to find one that is so profound and so interesting, you know. And it's definitely going to like live in my head for the next few months. Um, so yeah, time. You, you said that's on, it's on, uh, it's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's I've, an, I've heard it's one of their originals. But great things about it. I just got to catch up with it. This is yeah. actually the crunch time because I I'm a member of the Chicago Film Critics Association, so we have to vote on all the awards coming up. So basically for the next week, I'm doing nothing but watching 2020 <laughs> new movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, time should be on your list. For Absolutely. Sure. I will make that a priority for sure. Yeah. Clay, how about you? Man, Jim, I would love to have a week where I just got to watch 2020 movies. I am like Ryan. I am so behind. Um, we've done, I've just been watching so many 
movies for the show uh, this year um, sure. that I just sat down and made my like want to see by the end of 2020, 2020 movies, and it is uh, an insurmountable list. <laughs> and I'm, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see how I do. I did. I did, however, get to a new release of 2020 uh, this weekend, um, and it's also about time. Uh, however, <laughs> the kind of time that is found in the wild, the wild mountains of Ireland. Um, I watched. Oh no! <laughs> I watched oh. John. Pat- I, I rented. I rented theater at home for an embarrassing amount of money. I rented uh, John Patrick Shanley's Wild Mountain Time, starring Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt. Well, Play. first things first. Joe vs. the Volcano. Masterpiece. Sure. I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> oh, John Patrick Shanley uh, is is a okay in my book. Uh, uh, Joe vs. the Volcano. Good. Doubt. Uh, he wrote Moonstruck. Yeah. I mean, the guys. The guys got chops. Uh, I am definitely a fan. Um, Wild Mountain Time is it, 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 it is sort of this like whimsical Irish romantic dramedy. Um, about these kind of kooky characters who, these two families that live on uh, neighboring farms, uh, and, um, uh, oh, I got a, oh, nice. Zoom just sent us a notification yes. that we've been upgraded. Um, Thank you. Uh, uh, these two families that live on neighboring farms, they're best friends, they've known each other for decades, they've, it, you know, and of course it starts when, with Emily Blunt and J- Jamie Dornan as little kids, uh, and then it's, you know, they've always been in love with each other, but they can't tell each other. And they ended up becoming more like siblings. And so now they're adults and they're both, you know, Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt, who are both statuesque uh, beauties uh, and are both portrayed as these like weirdos who will never find love. Uh, and um, uh, uh, it's just this this story of uh, the elder generation um, starts to pass away or be too old to run the farms and it becomes about, um, you know, handing down the legacy. Are, is the younger generation going to stay on the farms? Are they going to uh, be tempted to leave, to go out and kind of explore on their own? But then, but uh, uh, you know, uh, they also have this sort of cosmic link that won't let them go. Uh, John Hamm shows up as the uh, uh, handsome... Um, worldly American cousin of Jamie Dornan who comes in and is thinking about uh, trying to buy the farm from Christopher Walken instead of having it be handed down. Christopher Walken, actually, um, this is not a great movie. This is a very, very beautiful looking, very strange, kind of inexplicable movie where the wonderful thing about John Patrick Shanley's movies are that they do seem to take place in the real world and not in the real world at the same time. Doubt excluded, his comedies. Um, uh, they're always unexpected. He's always throwing in ideas and things that are sort of charming and delightful in how, uh, they occasionally just don't make any sense at all and don't resemble real human interaction, but it's kind of like, well, no one else would do this. This is, this is weird and fun. Um, Wild Mountain Time is not as successful on that front as some of his, of his other movies. Um, but going back around, one of the things to recommend about it is it's a lovely little late career part for Christopher Walken who I feel like I have not seen in a long time 
in anything, but he's plays sort of the patriarch. He's J- Jamie Dornan's father. Um, he and his whose wife has recently passed away, uh, and he's trying to decide if he's going to hand his farm down to his son, who is uh, kind of strange and actually extremely strange, as you find out in the twist at the end of the movie. Um, but he's he's tempted to sell the farm to the um, rich American cousin. That's kind of the driving force of a lot of the drama. Uh, it's a very mellow, quiet movie with low stakes. Uh, you know they're going to end up together. Uh, but of course, as everybody has said online, there is... I don't even know if it qualifies as a twist, but there is just some... There is some dialogue uttered in the final scene of the movie that is is inexplicable. And if I told it to you now, you wouldn't believe me. So I, if you like... Um, mellow romantic comedies set shot in just gorgeous, gorgeous Irish countryside locations. And a lot of like, um, like if Martin McDonough had like a, if the McDonough brothers had like a real sort of um, kindly, gentle younger brother who just wrote uh, nice stories, um, but with the same very specific Irish patter. um, It's a little bit like that. Um, I would say don't pay $20 to see it unless you are just really hard up for a weird romantic comedy. Oh, I won't. Um, but it's, it's worth watching. Uh, Jamie Dornan, much the best I've ever seen him, you know, uh, despite his looks being contradictory to what they say his character is, I think he performs it very well. And Emily Blunt is very funny. Emily Blunt knows she's in a John Patrick Shanley movie. Like, I don't know if anyone else in the movie has seen Joe versus the Volcano, but Emily Blunt definitely has. Good. <laughs> does Christopher Walken uh, speak he with does. an Irish accent? Oh, everybody does an Irish accent, and oh, they're all weird. I think boy. Jamie Dornan. Now I have to Dornan. See this. I think is Irish. <laughs> Emily Blunt is not. Uh, Christopher Walken certainly is not. Um, is not. Uh, but Christopher but. Walken, he sounds like if Christopher Walken was Irish. Like wherever <laughs> Christopher Walken was born, you know that that soul was going to sound like Christopher Walken. And then just with a little bit of a twist, depending on where he ended up geographically. Uh, and this wow. is, this is Irish uh, Christopher Walken, but he really gives, he gives a really lovely performance. Like in the middle of this very kind of uh, um, off, not off putting. Cause it's, it's an inviting movie, but it's, you're constantly just like, what, 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 what was that? What did that line mean? <laughs> uh, he gives this performance that mean that really made me tear up. He, 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 it, it really is. A, I, I, I'm very glad that, that he, someone gave him a part like this here, uh, in, in the end of his career, because like, like I said, it's, he's been oddly absent for the last five or six years. Feels like it. Yeah. Anyway, wild mountain time. Well, I remember he, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the th- that's the thing though is like if you look on Letterboxd, this movie's getting trashed. Like people hate I, it, and I'm like, it's the kind of movie. I, and this is what it is, Jim. It's the kind of movie where if it was worse, people would like it more. It's it's okay. it's on it's it rides the line too much. I think it is frustrating mm. that it's not better because you could. It's one of those movies where actually not unlike some of the movies we're going to talk about in a minute. It, it it is it's it makes you more angry because you you know that the talent is there and you see glimpses of like and there are like there will be a scene that's terrific and then the next twenty minutes you're like what the fuck wait now what's happening 
they were they they got oh, yeah. on the right track and now i don't know what's going on it's one of those movies i think if it, it it people if it were better obviously people would like it more and if it were worse people would like it more um because it would be amusingly bad um it's just kind of it's just kind of right in the middle uh uh as it is like i said not unlike okay. a few of the movies uh that that we're going to be discussing well i'll definitely check it out because i i like shanley's work all around it's unique so. it 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 has a yeah. it has a unique voice it is not another uh anonymous pumped out netflix rom-com it has it it feels like a real movie good good to hear well for my choice like i said it's been a little bit uh difficult because i'm watching a bunch of things all at once uh but i'll i'll briefly say that i absolutely love the new pixar movie oh. so so I'm excited cool. for everyone to see that. And you guys had a great draft. Whew, epic. But yeah, <laughs> uh, on Pixar films. So everybody should check that out. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to highlight a movie that I really liked. Didn't fully love as much as I'd hoped. And that's um, Promising Young Woman. St- oh, yeah. Starring, I want to see that. Yeah, one of my favorites, uh, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, you could pretty much flip a coin between... Uh, Michelle Williams and Carrie Mulligan, they're pretty much equal, my favorites, uh, working mm-hmm. today. So uh, if you ever want to do a Michelle Williams draft. Um, <laughs> oh, Michelle Williams. <laughs> yes. Okay, mark it down. Uh, but yeah, I believe this comes out on VOD later this month. Yeah. Uh, and I do encourage people to see it because you're going to have a conversation about it. It's going to... It's going to spark some, I, I don't know if it'll be a controversy, but a, a definitely a conversation regarding, you know, men's treatment of women, especially when men claim to be the nice guy, when obviously they right. aren't. Uh, and this was, um, I believe, written and directed by uh, the one of the creators of Killing Eve, uh, Emerald Fennel, I believe. And it's, I described it as kind of like, a darkly comedic thriller that is it doesn't get as intense and hardcore and rough as something like hard candy or Ms. 45 but it's kind of in that same thematic vein of you know revenge thrillers uh where things get kind of intense uh but it does it definitely has a sense of humor to it definitely a dark sense of humor but um the, the main character, Cassie, played by Mulligan, she really just tries to teach a lesson to several men that take her home thinking that she's drunk. And she uses her smile like a weapon and sort of reveals her intentions very slowly in order to build a, build things up within a scene. Like she takes these men home or they take her home and you're just waiting for the ultimate reveal and what becomes of that necessarily and i'm not going to give too much away but she this becomes an an odd hobby for her like she works a day job at a coffee shop but then at night this is what she does and she like she goes to a bar acts incredibly drunk lets a dude take her home and you know while they attempt to seduce her she basically stops that and scares them into hopefully you know some kind of reality and maybe they won't repeat this transgression to any other woman that they come across but it's totally it becomes a little bit of a romantic comedy at one point because bo burnham shows up 
and he's like an old acquaintance from college and they start to have a romantic connection and you know she's used to pushing men away obviously but in this case that's you know where things get a little weird and kind of playful in a way like like it becomes a dark comedy and suddenly like oh no everything's fine romantic comedy la 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 and I don't know how I felt about that change and that that shift in tone about halfway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, there's an elaborate plan that comes into fruition involving her past and some horrible college frat boy that deserves his comeuppance. But that's all I'm going to say. Uh, a lot, lot, a lot of films that I've seen this year, I really just focus on the acting because it's so strong and so good. Uh, I mean, she carries pretty much the entire film uh, from beginning to end here. And it does have a lot to say about creepy dudes doing terrible things. Uh, And I think that's going to definitely provoke a lot of different emotions from different people, depending on their past and their experiences with, you know, men acting like jerks. (laughs) Um, So I I definitely encourage people to see it. I just didn't think it was 100% consistent enough for me to wholeheartedly you know say oh this is a masterpiece you definitely have to go out of your way to see it but i want more people to see it it's kind of like there's this other movie that came out recently on vod called uh, uh, a black bear with aubrey plaza yeah i wanted to check that out yeah do because that's one another one when it was over i was like i really want to have a conversation about this because i don't know if i 100 percent grasp everything it's trying to say outside of uh, it's it's about manipulation and what that can do to a person and including manipulation within uh, creating a film. And what does it mean to manipulate your actress into order giving a performance that you want that feels emotionally honest. So I think that's, that's again, Aubrey Plaza knocking out of the park in that movie. Yeah. Aubrey Aubrey Plaza as a like lunatic indie film director is, is a premise that is very intriguing to me. (laughs) It is. It's great. And again, Carrie Mulligan, possibly the biggest and best reason to see Promising Young Woman. So if you're a fan, definitely watch it. And uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think when you see these movies, because they they leave a lot of questions, but in a good way, I think. Promising Young young Woman, I I really want to see. I love a... uh, sort of messy examination of all of the various sometimes contradictory threads of a, of a, of a difficult to tackle topic like that. Again, not unlike uh, the movies we're going to talk about today, um, trying to tell every single part of a story um, at the same time. Uh, But um, uh, uh, pressing a young woman, I like, I, I saw first saw reviews for that, you know, and this is, this is, this is a weird COVID thing. I don't know, two years ago? When, when did that movie play festivals? It's like think, these, these films... I think definitely last these year. These films I've just sure. been waiting for. And then those small batch of movies that, that critics saw in like February that were about to right. come out. And now they're going to come out a year later. It's like everybody I follow on Twitter seems like is part of some kind of film critic society. And they're all having this conversation <laughs> about all these movies for the last 12 months that yeah. I have not seen. It's like, oh my God, what am I finally going to see some of this stuff? I... Black Bear is out yeah, finally, is, so I, I will check that out now. And Promising Young Woman sure. is Christmas? Yes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. soon, yeah. I think it is Christmas Day. Same with uh, that 
it, it's funny you're mentioning that because I saw all these critics all at once on Twitter, uh, basically slamming the new George Clooney movie, The Midnight Sky. Right. It was like a barrage of tweets. I'm like, I didn't know that was that was shown, but okay, I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't that excited there for it. So many movies. Unfortunately, that, he hasn't made it. Uh, the Greengrass movie, News of the World, uh, oh, right. Soul, yep. Wonder Woman. There's like Promising Young Woman, like Christmas Day. There's just going to be. 25 high level movies <laughs> dropped on VOD at the same time. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah, yeah there's a lot to see. Um, and uh, I look forward to the 2020 draft that you guys do. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. And we're going to oh, do it. So interesting. We, we always do it right before the Oscars. Cause we do it along with Oscar eligibility. Oh, so right, it's going to yeah. be in like April. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, All right. It's going to be weird. It'll be weird to do it that late. It's though, a weird year. You know? Yeah, I guess you're right. Continues to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Well, um, let's just move on. If you guys are ready, do you want to take a break? It's totally up to you. I'm, I'm good. No, I'm I mean, good. Yeah, totally. I could get some more coffee. Okay. No, it's totally fine by me. I could get <laughs> some more. Let, too. let me consult my mug. Yeah, yeah I could use some we more all coffee. We can get some more. Um, okay. Like 30 awesome. seconds. I'll just go get some more coffee and come back. His films make me happy, yes indeed. James L. Brooks and me write an awesome dialogue with strong female characters like Jane Craig. Well, I felt something. Emma, your sons will be okay. But really, how do you know? I saw Helen Hunt again at a restaurant. She makes me want to be a better man gonna write this picture with James L. Brooks and cast it perfectly all of the characters are very 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 meaningful well you know broadcast news is the best I've seen it way too many times I guess let's talk about James Brooks with With two very intelligent and funny guests Really quickly, I do want to go around the Zoom room and ask what your first experience with James L. Brooks was, because when I think about his many accomplishments, it hadn't occurred to me that he's partially responsible for my sense of humor, because one of the first TV shows I loved watching with my dad uh, when I was a kid and sort of was developing a sense of humor uh, was Taxi. And you know, his accomplishments with TV is pretty remarkable. You could do a whole podcast of just that in of itself. Uh, But with Taxi, like there's an episode in particular where Christopher Lloyd has to renew his driver's license that I think is one of, it might be the hardest I laughed as a kid. (laughs) And at the same time, that show had a lot of heart and a lot of humanity going with its characters in ways that surprised you because you thought, oh, wacky sitcom, laugh track. But then suddenly you're you're actually feeling for these people. You, you feel a lot of empathy for them. And I think that translates well into his films. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was probably my first experience ever seeing his name in, in the credits of anything. But Clay, uh, what do you remember being your earliest encounter with <laughs> the work me. of um, Brooks? It's, uh, it's hard to know because, as you said, his... Mm-hmm influence on television in the last 50 years is so broad. 
Uh, I mean, he was one of the you know original producers of The Simpsons, uh, yeah. Taxi, Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, he's he's all over all over all of it. Um, so I'm sure I saw episodes. I'm sure episodes of The Simpsons must be the first time that I encountered his influence. Um, and yeah. I, and I'm sh- I do know that I saw As Good as It Gets at an early age, sometime in the early 2000s. But the first time that I was aware of him, you know, of the name James L. Brooks and associating that name to a style, to particular material, was actually kind of a fun one. I, I, I attended um, film school in Southern California at uh, Chapman University. And they did, uh, I cannot remember if it was maybe my sophomore or my junior year, but one of the professors did a series, <clears throat> a guest lecture series, and he brought in uh, Polly Platt. And we oh, watched wow. uh, we watched uh, Last Picture Show. Uh, hold on, excuse me, I'm going to, I have to clear my throat. So they had a guest lecture series and brought in Polly Platt, and we watched, uh, um, all of her Bogdanovich stuff, and uh, then the stuff she did later, like Bottle Rocket, which she actually co-produced with James L. Brooks. But she worked with James yep. L. Brooks on a couple of movies, and um, we watched Broadcast News, uh, a 35-millimeter print of Broadcast News, with Polly Platt mm. speaking afterwards, uh, and it instantly wow. became my favorite movie of all time. It was it was one of those uh, light bulb moments where I was like, this is closest to my sensibility of anything I've ever seen. These characters are so ambitiously written. They're so multidimensional. Uh, as you said, um, empathetic is a word I think is going to, uh, at least I'm going to definitely say more times than I ought to over the course of this conversation. Um, he, he never has a one-dimensional character. Uh, he tries to um, imbue everyone with humanity, sometimes uh, to the detriment of <laughs> the story, uh, as we'll see. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, seeing a 35-millimeter print of broadcast news uh, was a really um, a life-changer for me in college. Uh, and then I instantly went out and, and watched everything else um, and, and, and was uh, uh, anticipating how do you know maybe more than any other movie I've ever anticipated. Uh, and, and, nice. and, you know, that, will, that may, may or may not have uh, been satisfying. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, James L. Brooks, uh, pretty quickly after seeing Broadcast News, became uh, my up-in-the-top-three favorite writer-directors of all time. Um, I just, uh, I adore him. Yeah, similarly to Albert Brooks, he's he's a guy I wish would work more, you know, but... Yeah, he takes his time. <laughs> he takes you know between projects five, six. He'll do. He'll like research for three years. Yeah, um, for 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 exactly. a film, um, like for broadcast news, he spent two years like hanging out in the CBS uh, nightly news like newsroom, uh, and just absorbing. <laughs> That's incredible, awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I knew Clay's initial thoughts going into this, but Ryan, where do you stand with uh, James L. Brooks? You consider him? You know, um, favorite I, I, sorts? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I think that um, he's definitely a filmmaker that's grown on me slower than than Clay, for sure. I, I came upon him, I mean, certainly with As Good As It Gets. That was a massive movie in 1997 yeah. when, when that came out. And everybody had to see it. So that definitely was easily the first time I felt a, a James L. Brooks movie. Um, but also, I do remember my mother... Uh, really being into Terms of Endearment when I was growing up. We did watch that a number of times, and 
Um, it was a movie that played in my house quite a bit. Um, I wouldn't say every year because it, but on the other hand, I do remember playing it played in a loop with about three or four of those types of movies with that one always being the one that my mother would feel the most Beaches towards. It would be the steel like, magnolias. <laughs> right. That's what I, it took me so long to see. And mermaids. Mermaids. Yes. Yeah. Mystic pizza. Mermaids. That's right, sir. You know, the genre. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you know, the marker household with two, twi- two twin sisters and a mom who liked to I've cry. still never seen steel magnolias. <laughs> Uh, it's great. But regardless, yeah. And and then with me, I have to say that I grew up and was a big reader of 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 novels when I was in, a, a teenager and I got into Larry McMurtry. Ah. So that sort of made me connect with my mom over that movie in a big way. And um, with broadcast news, it's weird. I didn't catch that until much later. Um, it was, a f- you know, maybe in college that I see it for the first time. And you know, it was like, I remember going, oh, well, that's a bit overrated for whatever reason. Fast forward, you know, 15 years to when I'm working with Clay at, at Vidiots, and um, <laughs> he's literally, like, recommending this to one out of five oh, customers. Broadcast News in. is the like, only <laughs> film that sat on my recommendation shelf unmoved for the entire time that I worked uh-huh. on. Every other movie got swapped out. There was one constant, yep. and it was Broadcast News. And I heard I heard Clay talk about it so much that, of course, like, and he would talk to me about it. You know, Ryan, you really need to revisit that. You sound <laughs> stupid by saying, you know, <laughs> all you due respect, see, you know, sort of like that. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like that. And, and it, I did. I eventually saw it and I saw and it's strange. I've since that time I saw it, which was probably what, Clay, 15 or 16, oh, 2015 um, or 2016. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it like three more times. And with each time, I, I find new things. With each time, I sort of see what Clay was preaching for all those years. Like, it just took me a little longer. And I think that that's, that's not uncommon, I think, when it comes to broadcast news. I don't think this movie is completely 100% accessible right away. Yeah. I think it's a movie that kind of grows on you and the characters grow on you. And maybe it does it within the course of that first time watching it like it did for clay but there's something about the movie that hooked me to go gosh i I, i'd like to see that again i'd like to show somebody else that it's different than the other things in that genre and that type of movie that i've seen before and yeah and that also informs how much i then started to think about james l brooks more as an artist and less as just kind of a director that came from Mary Tyler Moore, you know, sort of, I gave him a lot more respect once I sort of saw the kind of genius of, of broadcast news, to be honest. So, yeah. so the rewatch, I, you know, Clay and I, I think we both did this. We rewatched everything. Cause you just sort of end up doing, it's not that many, you know, there's like six movies total. So it became easy to do. And that f- fascinating ride <laughs> it is incredibly <laughs> fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Such yeah, a cool before journey. we talk about his first feature film, I mean, I, I have to highlight how he's responsible for producing some of the some great work mm. over the years. You know, Say Anything is still my favorite Cameron Crowe movie. I just think that's one of those pitch perfect screenplays in every way. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, Clay, he, he and Polly Platt were, you know, did Bottle Rocket. Like, the, Wes Anderson has a career pretty much thanks to James L. Brooks. Yeah. So we can thank yeah. him for that. Um, 
and he's done so much for for tv of course uh you know and it's amazing to me that he had a home run right out of the gate you know that's that's pretty remarkable to to, to experience i mean a lot of people like if there's a criticism i've heard is that you know he can come across as a sitcom director in that they're scene after scene after scene after scene uh, especially in something like with terms of endearment i've heard people just say well i don't know if it all comes together satisfyingly but there are moments there are scenes there are certain character interactions that work really well mm -hmm. uh so you know to me i do think broadcast news is the masterpiece it's like a step up even from terms of endearment but i still love everything about terms of endearment yeah. i mean especially mm -hmm. deborah winger good lord oh, just i mean terms of endearment I, I i didn't get around to like ryan even though i love broadcast news i think i got around to terms uh, pretty late in my initial james l brooks experience yeah, me too. because it's got that reputation of just being a weepy and and right. and i watched it and i understand that I guess criticism of James L. Brooks, but that's because he, he is not a plot guy at all. Right. He is, uh, he crafts these, uh, incredibly intricate, um, honest, consistent characters, uh, puts them in situations together, finds the honest way and interesting way that this, this, these characters could bounce off each other and influence each other and create this kind of uh, uh, combined story amongst each other. Uh, and then if there's a plot, great. If there's not a plot, it's, it's, that's not really, who cares? <laughs> and, and then we, yeah. we, we, we get to the end point, but um, terms of endearment is just, is, is every bit as uh, clever as his other movies. It's every bit as well-performed. I mean, good Lord, the performances in that movie are just incredible. Uh, and, and it's an absolutely lovely movie. It's, it's, it's really terrific. It's definitely my second favorite of, of his films. Yeah. I mean, I think some people had criticisms about, but to me, I'm, I think maybe this was just something early on that now I'm used to is the time jumps. There's no indication of like, we don't even see some of the kids being born, you know? And it's like, that's a deliberate choice to just show how, time just keeps going on and on and on yeah. and sometimes you don't even stop to think about it it's just life <laughs> you know and i don't know if that's is that, is that the same case with the book ryan is that kind of do you think it's a faithful adaptation it's a faithful adaptation in a lot of ways but you're you're absolutely right of course with all adaptations of novels you kind of have to excise a to the degree of it, you know, uh, and, sure. and he does that beautifully. Um, the interesting thing, getting back to your original point about TV and that leap mm -hmm. from TV to movies, it's such a, it's such a tough thing, I think, for anybody to do, especially, you know, they're two completely different, like, art forms and lengths of, you know, storytelling. Um, but you're, you're right that he brought, he brought something to the sitcom that it had not really had before, which was, kind of the understanding and the acknowledgement that you live with these characters week to week, you will end up loving them, even though they might be reprehensible at times <laughs> and, you know, obnoxious overall, you will end up liking them. And I think just being able to tell that story, whether it be taxi, whether it be Mary Tyler Moore, 
the hybrid of emotions, whether it be laughing and crying, all of that ends up translating to me into the adaptation of Terms of Endearment, which captures the emotions, whether it captures the big beats, whether it captures all of the nuances of every character. I think what James L. Brooks understood was that it really boils down to the movie, the two hours, and it boils down to who you cast. Because ultimately, they're going to sell this film. They're going to sell whatever leaps of time or or tone, uh, yeah. you know, James L. Brooks wants to throw. And it's a perfectly cast film. Everybody is perfect in it. Shirley MacLaine never really was better, and that's saying an awful lot, because she's, you know, one of the great actresses of all time. And you're totally right, Jim. I mean, one thing that I think James L. Brooks that I've noticed through all these films um, does so beautifully is that balance between sort of the artifice of telling a story, the artifice of like even telling a Hollywood movie mm-hmm. with the awkward humanity and, and like honesty of being a human. And I think it's re- very interesting that in each one of these movies, though that balance is kind of always there. It's always kind of being played with. And he always, Every, you know, the artifice informs the honesty and vice versa. And that just to me is such a, you've, I've never quite seen that. You see a lot of people try to do these things, but they don't really work out. And in terms of endearment, I just think throwing this into a Larry McMurtry novel, like adapt, you know, it's so interesting where, where we end up with James L. Brooks, but to start with an adaptation of this novel and have it end up being so Brooksian uh, is is I think just such a feat, such an amazing yeah. feat. Yeah. He brought so much of his own self to that movie and it's all there. And it's, it's just great. Probably Nicholson's best thing too. I mean, really in the eighties, he was such an inhuman in so many parts. And in that one, he's so well-rounded and so beautiful as a character. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of, I, th- I think someone who came, who comes pretty close to finding that balance of, you know, dark humor and humanity is uh alexander payne and i thought you know about schmidt certainly election like those movies to me sort of play with that sensibility that brooksian sensibility but like you know i think some people consider his movies to be a little messy and i'm like well emotions are messy people are messy (laughs) you know audiences are conditioned to look for the plot points and the act mm-hmm. breaks and a to b to c like wh- yeah. where is this all going they want there to be some sort of grand unifying uh, uh plot thing that's tied up at the end of the movie uh and i would bet a million dollars that james o brooks is not the kind of, of of writer who has the the end in mind when he's starts the script i think it, it is uh, with the exception possibly of terms because it was it did have source material and at least that provided it some kind of structure um he he is the the point of the movie is the experience the characters have and the personal arc that they go on that's the structure that's that's the point at the end of the movie uh, it is not yeah. it is i i love the very um unspecific tagline of broadcast news and and there's a bit of a pun in there as well but the tagline of broadcast news is it's the story of their lives which is, there's a pun where it's like, they're journalists, it's the story of our life. But like, that is all of his movies. That could be the tagline of every single one of his movies is, Pretty it's much. the story of their lives. Yeah. And I would say Terms actually is the least messy, to be quite honest. I it's all so. pr- 
it's very uh, kind of poetically drawn when you think about yeah. it. Each of the mother and 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 the daughter both have, you know, their husbands. One has died, and one is sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of a cat here and there. Flap is that his name? Yeah, Flap. <laughs> Flap, yeah. Jeff Daniels. But they right. also have these kind of, yeah, yeah, they also have these kind of paramours that sort of follow them around. And, and Jackson in Shirley's life and John Lithgow is in uh, Deborah Winger's life. Oh, right. And it's just such a fascinating kind of parallel between this mother and daughter and how they live their lives. And then, you know, I'm not going to give give the ending away, but it's just not your standard ending like that. I think, you know, there's... There's a very dramatic denouement that happens in this movie that that is, you know, if, if you haven't been living under a rock, you'll know. But I'm not going to even say it. Yeah. But the bottom line is you've seen this scene a hundred times in a lot of other movies and you've never, ever, ever seen it like this. Yeah. It affects me every time. And I know exactly what's going to happen. Knew it the entire movie. But, you know, my mother always says I can't help but cry when when Shirley MacLaine runs in that hospital. She just can't help it. It's like it's like a weird primal mother thing that happens uh, there. And McLean knocks it out of the park. Brooks wrote it perfectly. You know, know, it's just I I disagree with this messiness thing, because to me, terms feels very beautifully drawn. I feel like it's a very deliberate film from beginning to end. So it's that's it, I mean, criticism. certainly yeah, I mean, messiness. He won so many awards for it, too. So. Oh, I mean, he yeah. won it's... Best Picture. Did, did it win yeah. best, best Actor and Best, best Screenplay? Best... Did it win? I, I think, yeah, Nicholson won for Supporting Nicholson actor. won. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's astounding. And the uh, the end of the movie, the McLean stuff is great. The scene where Deborah Winger talks to her sons... Um, is the kind of scene where you could not, you could have missed the rest of the movie, and you just watch that like ninety second scene, and you're on the ground crying. Yeah. And and Brooks is so yeah. good at this, and he applies this skill in in other circumstances in other movies. But he always, he never, like you said, Ryan, it's a scene we've seen a million times. He always finds the overlooked detail from from the way other people do it, and he builds that out. And focuses on that. And it always makes his scenes feel fresh and unique and like you've never seen them that type of scene before, even though you have a million times. Because he um, uh, uh, is always on the lookout for those um, overlooked or undramatic details uh, that just make it – that always make things feel so much more more real and um and and he makes you consider situations in a way you haven't considered them before which is always it, it, giving that sort of intellectual shock to the audience i think also um plays plays into that just kind of broadly in his in the way he writes yeah mm-hmm. and that scene with deborah winger and her sons i mean i it's too much almost <laughs> i i I'm in awe of that scene because he does manage to capture the two responses to shock or grief. Uh, just like, I want to cry my eyes out, but I want to be a strong, tough son, yeah. you know, cause that's, mm-hmm. I, I lost my dad to cancer. And so when I see that, I'm like, I immediately feel what those kids are feeling. Cause it's like, yeah. on one hand, Oh yeah, of course this is a normal response to cry and be really upset about what's happening. But at the same time, you want to be strong too. And I think mm-hmm. that scene in particular is just remarkable. I mean, everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the bit I where just, she says, don't blame uh, yourselves for, yeah. for not, you know, 
like this moment. You'll you'll remember this moment, and yeah. don't blame yourselves for like yelling at me or feeling bad. Like don't like it's that stuff's just like the empathy that he has that he then transmutes into his characters is is so unique. I think uh, in in film yeah. for sure. Well, and it's a fun and it's very funny movie. I mean, oh like, yeah, it might that's be his. The, that's the it great might be part his about most it. Laugh out loud movie. Yeah, I mean, McLean so. and Nicholson is just, <laughs> they're doing a whole different movie that just, again, beautifully dovetails into the into the movie, weirdly enough. And it's 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 so and funny. And it's great like, to watch I, older, you know, people having a romance the way that they yeah. do. You know, it's awkward yeah. like everything else in a James L. Brooks movie, but in a good way, in a very endearing mm-hmm. way that you understand. And I think that's, yeah. he captures that time and time again. Um, yeah. And those relationships allow you to have those moments of deep, deep sadness. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you're sort of, you know, uh, with your family and obviously there, every family has a lot of harshness and, and, you know, tough things that happen to them. But in family life, you end up trying to find the good, you know what I mean? You end up trying to like always move the conversations in better places and not, and that's what this movie is to me. It's a very, it's a g- great movie about family and how it operates, you know, how the good things inform the bad and how we all kind of are in it together. And, you know, by the end of the movie, it's, it's just beautifully heartwarming, honestly, despite such heavy sadness and yeah. heavy loss in the movie. And so it's, it's a lot of it's, it's about gorgeous. the subjective experience because of, you know, that scene with mother and daughter and like mother's like, you know, so excited to tell her daughter that I finally met someone and we're connecting and things are going great. And then the daughter's like, um, I'm sick. I'm dying of cancer. (laughs) You know, I don't care to hear that right now. It's just, I'm not on that, not feeling that right now. And then when, (laughs) like she says, you know, we're always fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. And that, that whole scene is just pitch perfect in how they respond to things. And the fact that James L. Brooks lets his characters think, about what they're going to yep. say sometimes yeah. or gives them a moment to breathe and process yeah. what's, what's going on. is actually very yeah. rare. And there's tons of that we'll get to soon. I yeah. do. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. Jim, I <clears throat> picked up on that uh, as well uh, on these most recent re- rewatches is there's so many, so many things like, thank goodness uh, James L. Brooks got uh, uh, a, blank check as they say on the blank check podcast um <laughs> right off of the bat because there's so many wonderful little little bits in his movies that if if producers had power over him would be like straight out straight out of the script yeah uh and oftentimes yeah. they're the best parts and if they're not the best parts they um build into the rhythm of a scene that build to the best parts uh and um oh god i just yeah Love it. I'm going to do that a Perfection. bunch in this conversation. I'll I'll tail I'll have a thought yeah. tail off into just going like, mm, yeah." Oof. It's that's this is as good as it gets. Is all I'm going to say for the whole, you know, well, not for every movie. <laughs> of course. But at the same time, the score is so cheesy in 80s, but I feel like that was just a part of that era to some degree, like And all of his I movies. guess I could say all of his movies. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah, that's, and, true. Right, that's one of the they're things. They're cute. That when you said, like, you didn't always get James L. Brooks, I think that's one of the things that uh, is why some people don't, I don't think, connect with his movies 
on the deep level that you can connect with them, the, the depth uh, and the intelligence and the emotion of the material that, uh, you know, allows it to be um, uh, connected with and analyzed in a really, really deep way is because the trappings are very just Hollywood. He, 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 yeah. from the beginning of his career, his film career, he got big budgets with, he got splashy cinematographers. He got these 80 scores like uh, on, on, and they're, they're put out by 20th century Fox and they, you see them in the, the, the movie theater and he's got big Hollywood named stars. I mean, the material uh, could absolutely behoove itself to a cool Fox searchlight, you know, whatever movie, but the fact that they come out uh, on five thousand screens and the scores are like, like I know, I hear that and I'm like, it's fascinating. I want to roll my, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I maybe I'm just forgiving about that one little thing. Is just like, oh, it becomes endearing. Yeah, that's the thing. I kind of feel like we're all moving now towards an age when all that stuff ends, is actually I feel like we're coming oh. around that. I listen, you know, old time Hollywood scores are fun and <laughs> those movies, you know, it doesn't mean they're stupid. Like Criterion has informed us that, you know, old Hollywood has been doing this for a long time. That's true. And that that does not mean these movies are dumb by any means. It just it was the it was parlance the parlance of the day. Of the day. And, know, I, and I do think that's why um, James L. Brooks until recently, until like Criterion put out broadcast news, uh, what, eight, <laughs> nine years ago. Uh, he he mm-hmm. was kind of people who knew were like, yeah, James L. Brooks is low-key, one of the greats. But I don't think he has been widely acknowledged as a genius until the last four or five years, at least in the film space. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fair. Well, when I think of the all-time great romantic comedies, I – and I – I've told the people this before and they're like, really? Wow. But I, I would put this up there with the work of Billy Wilder, Preston Sturgis. Uh, and I think the, this screenplay for broadcast news is my favorite script ever written. That's, I feel that much love for this movie. Like every character beat, every line of dialogue. It's just like, I don't want this to be like a total love fest, but it's going to be hard not to be <laughs> because, you know, for the first time when I saw this movie in my early 20s, I immediately said, well, I think I'm just going to follow Albert Brooks at everywhere because I just connected with that sort of awkward sensibility that he has in a way that I think a lot of people felt like about early Woody Allen films. And I just I like mm-hmm. I like Woody Allen, but I never felt that same connection the way I do with all pretty much everything of Albert Brooks his career like as a director or as an actor uh i can basically just watch him get drunk or take ludes for you know an entire movie and just be entertained because uh that is not that. broadcast yeah. news by the way for for anybody who hasn't seen the movie that's uh modern yeah. romance well, is modern that? romance yes yes but in addition to that casting what can you say about holly hunter in this i mean one of the great all-time acting performances in every way. Oh, yeah, it's the most attractive and character that's ever been in a movie. <laughs> probably right. Holly Hunter Actually, in this movie yeah. is my I mean, number one uh, movie crush of all time. I would, I, that, I, I can't argue that. <laughs> I think like the first time I saw it, it's just so jarring to go from like, you know, comedic phone conversation or something to her breaking down and crying and having these crying spells that James L. Brooks heard 
actually does happen with some women, in particular the one that's, I believe, based off of, which is Susan Zerinsky. I think she was an anchor for CBS, I want to say. But yeah, he basically followed her and did tons of research. And I know he had experience with TV, obviously, but um, Mm -hmm. this is just feels like one of the best movies too, about how good people can be at their jobs and how you could turn something like a news story into something cinematic, which is like, I can harp on about the acting and the writing, but here, like the directing you got split diopter shots oh, during yeah, that. Yeah. The direction in I the, mean, oh my just... God, people talk about, oh, James L. Brooks, he feels like a TV filmmaker. And I've heard that, I mean, oh my goodness. I Years ago yeah. uh, on the old um, podcast, The Canon, um, Amy Nicholson, who I adore and, and is, 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 a, is a brilliant film mind, of course. Um, but who can also come up with opinions that drive me insane. Uh, yeah, she doesn't love good. She doesn't love Goodfellas, like, and she um, <laughs> doesn't love broadcast news. And she leveled a criticism at it that it was flat. It was flatly shot, flatly directed, and um, it made me so mad. I stopped listening to that podcast for a while. <laughs> we've we've uh, we've uh, dis- we've discussed it since uh, and buried the hatchet. Uh, and I, I love Amy, but um, you just look at the scene, the Libyan report scene, is one of the most. Ex- some of the most ecstatic filmmaking I've ever seen it with, with without, yeah. and you don't notice it the first time. The first time you see that your heart is just racing and you don't know why. And then you go back mm-hmm. and look at it and it is these long, the long tracking shot where they're doing the report. There's been all of this, this hustle and bustle. Everybody's like r- runs to the studio, getting in, they're getting Tom set. They're people like playing with his hair and getting him all ready to go. And he's cracking jokes on the monitor with Holly Hunter. And then he starts doing the report and they're just, slowly push in on him and then they come and uh, uh, pan back around behind him and push in on the back of his head and with that split diopter frame up his ear and Holly Hunter way up in the booth Mm. like that is that is some of the best film direction I've ever seen (laughs) it's incredible yeah and there's even subtle things like at the at the uh, brunch at that uh, at one of the executives houses early on there's a great shot where they're all blocked differently, but they're all looking at one another from different perspectives. Like you have, you know, Albert Brooks looking at Holly Hunter from afar, and then Holly Hunter's looking at William Hurt from afar. Like just the blocking of that shot is really beautifully done. And it just says volumes about who's interested in who yeah. in a way that's not mm-hmm. like spelling it all out for you. I just, I think he really stepped up his game in terms of where to put the camera in this, in this film too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Broadcast news is definitely, it's definitely a step up in terms of directing. And I, I sort of feel like weirdly it's that nexus between, you know, sort of the old James L. Brooks and then where he ends up heading just as a film director, kind of getting, trying to, trying to make things as messy as possible and seeing Mm -hmm. how it comes out. But you're, you're absolutely right. I do think broadcast news is beautifully directed. What I also found so fascinating, especially this time around is sort of the 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 moral and ethical complexities of journalism and their feelings towards one another. I watched this uh, for the first time with uh, someone who's about thirteen years younger than 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 me, and she was utterly perplexed by this movie. She did not know <laughs> what, and I think that there's this kind of instinct these days. It may speak to, you know, the fact that maybe James L. Brooks isn't as popular as we think he should be, that, um, you know, it's 
like I said, I do think that there's an artifice of of Hollywood that is even in this one. You know, you've got three big name stars and and uh, Jack Nicholson's back. You know, and it's it's got a, a great score to it. And Prosky's everything. there, but Robert the Prosky, com- you see his name on the marquee, and you're like, yeah. oh man, this is going to be glossy <laughs> Hollywood in. entertainment. Yeah, but again, you get ten minutes in, and automatically you're. You don't know where you want your feelings to lie. You don't know who who in this play is where your emotions should be with. And I think for people, that's confusing. I think, honestly, like, to not know who to like right away and to not know how to feel about everything right away, I think is kind of disarming for younger viewers. And it's really a throwback, I feel like. This movie feels like an old... I mean, it does have a His Girl Friday feel to it, even though it also is moving towards obviously talking about, you know, topics about what television is and what news is, what journalism is at a certain point. Things that we're still talking about today, probably even more now than ever. And I found all of that utterly fascinating. Throw in three people who are devoted to their job and devoted to their work and then somehow are bumping up with one another, both in their career as well as their sort of emotional um, love life. It's like... yeah, I mean the the plates being spun in this movie I mean, are e- amazing, right? I mean, e- e- it it is a throwback, but even uh, of its era, or even in any era, I think this is a uniquely well written film. These characters are uniquely sure. uh, multi dimensional, and uh, uh, the 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 magic of this film, and and again, we've said we've been talking about empathy this entire time, but the magic of this film is that on any given day. In any given mood, I will find myself um, personally reflected in a different character. They're all sure. they all have strengths. They all have uh, weaknesses or shortcomings. Um, no one is the villain, uh, and they all all of their um, you know personality quirks are designed to be complementary or contradictory to to one another and none of them are contrived it is all incredibly honest stuff like tom is is you understand why albert brooks hates him he's the pretty boy who isn't a journalist at his core he just stumbled into this job but at the same time and this is why i think the opening well the one of the other criticisms that people level at this movie is that you don't need the opening eight minutes with them as like little kids and i could not disagree more i think you need i love that opening to yeah. really set up that none of these characters are the bad guy. But Tom also, at, at the beginning, it's, you know, he was born a handsome little kid and people uh, gave him everything he wanted his whole life. Uh, and, you know, he got where he is through no fault of his own. And he's, a, and he's aware of it. He acknowledges that he has this um, uh, easy path. He has this privilege. But then you understand why Holly Hunter... Uh, is resentful of that, and Al Brooks is resentful of that, and so I, I, I God, God damn it, uh, uh. Well, and that, yeah, and that <laughs> I know, oh boy, he did it. <laughs> but it's so brilliant. And then on other days, I'm like, oh, I feel like Holly Hunter today. On other days, I'm like, I am absolutely Albert Brooks today. Uh, and there is not another movie oh, sure. that has three such fleshed out characters uh, who, when you get to the end of the movie. Um, the, the conflict, the third act conflict is 
entirely born out of an organic um, conflict. And it isn't, oh, you saw me with another woman. It's not what it looked like. It's actually this. But then you're going to be upset at me for 15 minutes because you have to be. Like, it's the fact that the romantic conflict comes out of uh, a slight, a very slight discrepancy in journalistic integrity and how much that Mm -hmm. means to each person and how much their job is, is, is a part of their soul, like and why they became a journalist, what it means to them. I mean, I've I've never seen it done like that. I've never seen it done, done better. I love rom-coms. I love them. 99% of rom-coms build up to an end of the second act, idiotic misunderstanding that is completely inorganic. Uh, and this movie, it's astounding. It's astounding. And it's something... I would not call this a, a rom-com. I, I don't think I would ever classify this as a rom-com. I'm surprised that ha- I don't laugh as much during this movie. because no. it's, a, it's a news movie. It, to oh, me, it's, it's, certainly a, a, news it's movie. a journalism yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there are moments just of a different... huge... You know, there's of course. Levity, it's, but... yeah. Oh, it's not a Absolutely. jokes movie, but it is... <laughs> Because these characters, because this movie lives in the world of clever people, he gets to just write clever dialogue, which is, which Mm -hmm. is a, like, it just, just, just perfect, a perfect setup for him. I kind of wonder how, if Amy Sherman Palladino is a big fan of this, because Gilmore Girls too, like, there's just Mm -hmm. so much amazing character interaction and dialogue throughout that show. Uh, but for me, it's it's interesting because I always go, oh, I, I'm Albert Brooks, definitely. I'm just like him. And then this most recent rewatch, I completely had forgotten his response to the um, the uh, date oh. rape news story. No, Albert Brooks is no, like, is no. Oh, my God. He's, he's a not dick. an angel in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> or he can be a dick, you know, and it's like. Yeah, some of the things he says in this, I yeah. was like, "Fuck." I mean, but that, that <laughs> I forgot, Jim. That's an interesting scene because, again, this is speaks to the intricacies of the movie. I, I think I've heard people say like, "Oh, that didn't age well," and we will talk about things not aging well um, in a minute <laughs> with a different movie. But um, if you watch his performance in that scene when he first walks in and he's watching it in his eyes, you can tell that he is impressed with the work. And he is getting emotionally wrapped up in it. He is just, um, he knows that the meanest thing he could say is to be dismissive of it. So I I don't think that character, I don't think that the Aaron Altman character is dismissive of that news story. I think he just knows how to be an asshole. Um, So I don't, (laughs) I I don't feel like, oh, the Albert Brooks character is dismissive of date rape being a serious thing, but he certainly is capable of being insensitive uh, and knowing exactly how to... And hurt, hurtful towards, yeah, people he cares yeah. about. And that's part of the characters. I think, that, again, you know, this is a throwback in terms of it's a kind of a talky movie and, you know, there are things that happen in it that all sort of work out, but I also think that this is weirdly like kind of a more of a European film in, in some ways because of hmm. these kind of moral shadings and ambiguities and the way that we don't feel for everybody right away. You know, I think all of those kind of things feel so much more removed in much the same way that like, yeah, uh, an Antonioni movie would be, or sort of, you know, something in that nature. It's strange in that way. And I think that that is part of the off-putting 
nature of broadcast news is yeah. that you're kind of walking into it going, okay, who do I like right away? And how does this going to work? And who's going to end yeah. up with who by the end? And I, everybody can always predict based upon their own emotional moorings regarding any one specific character. And it's always thrown out within minutes in this oh, movie. Yeah. And I think that's either... You either love that it changes or you constantly hate it, based on what they, what they reveal. Yeah. Because look, the the audience, uh, a film audience, always wants to root for the underdog. So they're like, oh, it, it, you know, it's it's Ducky. Aaron Aaron is the best friend who's in love with her, and she's yep. she uh, uh, is totally blind to it. But then Holly Hunter and uh, uh, um, Bill Hurt have this real like palpable um, sexual chemistry. Right off the bat. Oh, for sure. So then you're drawn to that, too. And then, you know, like you said, Ryan, every couple of scenes, a new wrinkle of Aaron's personality will be revealed. And you'll be like, oh, well, so he's actually kind of an asshole, though. And then William Hurt will say something that is surprisingly self-aware and sincere. And you're like, oh, well, maybe he, yeah. maybe there's hope for him. Maybe, maybe like he's not but, so bad. But then at one point he's like, uh, oh, <laughs> you usually have this layer of filth over <laughs> On you at, at work at the news station. I'm like, why would you say that? Oh my and God. And he's just, sl- and it's, this is another thing that's brilliant in the screenplay is, uh, you know, Aaron and Jane can be as clever as they want. Tom, I love that Brooks dials his vocabulary back about 15%. So he's not a doofus. You, you believe that he could operate at this level. But then also, Jim, mm-hmm. what, what you said where he gives the characters time to think is, is, uh, William Hurt does has this incredible behind the eyes acting where you can see him like trying to keep up and trying to figure out like a the, a good thing to say, but then he'll say something like like you have this yeah. this film on you at work or the scene uh, after the correspondence dinner, which is one of my favorite bits. Uh, Jim, you you told us to prepare favorite quotes from this movie, and there's too, quite simply too many. There's, there's too but many. When he does that, like why can't <laughs> yeah. I? take my hands off this woman. It's like, it's just, he's, he's, he cannot, he doesn't know what's going on in his head. And all he can think of to do is like verbalize it. And then she tries to talk it out with him. It's just stuff like that, where these characters are all written by this brilliant man, but they are all, they all have a different voice, which is so hard to do in screenwriting. Yeah. It's not like the world of Kevin Smith where everybody Everybody talks talks the same. same, Exactly. (laughs) Right. No, it's true. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's 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 a perfect movie, I think, in, in a lot of ways. I, I found it really interesting also, this movie, in the... I watched this at the tail end of the next three movies. So it was fascinating to kind of double back to this and sort of... It, like I said, I sort of feel like this was a starting point for other kind of experiments that he would do later down the road. <laughs> and And yet this one feels like an experiment that beautifully works from right. beginning to, I really do feel that it has an experimental. I feel like the fact that it. this movie came off um, so well and like terms of endearment, this one gets nominated for everything. This one wins nothing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think this shockingly looking back at the nominees, <laughs> did it not even win screenplay. Uh, yeah. Did it not even win. Screenplay? It didn't win anything. Um, uh, oh Holly Hunter lost to share who is terrific in moonstruck, but I mean, no, come on. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but he does this movie and it, and it comes off and this is not like if you, if you look at the production issue of this movie, the, the screenplay is 
80 pages longer than what's what's in the movie. There's so many things yeah. that were cut out of the film. Really? There's a handful of deleted scenes oh. on the Blu-ray, including he did not know what to do with the end of the movie. He had a version where William Hurt and Jane end up together, you know? So, but it's like, yeah. he throws, he's the kind of guy who uh, gets, throws everything on the wall and then sees what works and he finds it in the edit. Sure. And, and sometimes like this, it works. Like there was a whole, apparently a whole subplot uh, that was cut, which is there's kind of the loose ends of it still in the movie about Tom tracking down this news story about a, a military tank that is a boondongle. And, and, but apparently in the, and they shot this, there's like 10, 20 minutes of that subplot and the whistleblower oh, right. is gay and like that's part of it where like the whistleblower is kind of in love with Tom and Tom kind of like plays with his emotions and like there's all of this other wow. again journalistic integrity stuff and it goes back to mm-hmm. it's kind of gets put back in the movie where they're standing around chatting and they're like would you tell a source you loved them just to get some information and they're all like yeah of course um, <laughs> yeah. it goes back to the journal but again if that was still in the movie would it have would it have hurt it like Possibly, you know, it's you, you have no yeah, idea. I don't know how people would respond to that. But yeah, anyway, I think he right. was emboldened. It's a long movie. It's a long. It's, movie. it's already a long but movie. Yeah, but it the, the, yeah. it came out so well. I think he was emboldened to just be like, well, you know, that doing that worked for broadcast news. I'm just going to do that for all my movies. Um, and it does not always it does not always work after this. But I, I and I do love. I'll point out, and I do want to list off my favorite bits because I wrote them. I wrote them down on this note card. Um, <laughs> Every movie that he writes entirely originally uh, is set in a professional space that he really explores the the small details of, which I find fascinating. Um, Terms mm-hmm. doesn't, and as good as it gets, doesn't. But those were both things he came on to after. Um, as good as it gets was a script he had, he kind of rewrote. But Spanglish, I'll Do Anything, Broadcast News, and How Do You Know are all like he went and embedded himself in a professional space and kind of explores the characters that live in that world, which I find very interesting. Um, uh, the great scenes in this movie um, where Jane is talking to kind of the network head guy and he uh, is, is like, uh, you know, it must be awful being, being right all the time or you know, it must be, it must be great thinking you're always the smartest one in the room. And she says, no, it's awful. Incredible, incredible line. Uh, Albert Brooks's monologue about Tom being the devil. I, I don't. Perfect. A, a, a monologue doesn't get better than that, really. Um, the the Aaron parts of the Libyan report scene, where he's just getting drunk in his apartment and like listening to music, <laughs> uh, is so funny. Um, I am singing and reading both. Great stuff. <laughs> um, the line I, I always quote to myself, and it's a not one you would ever expect, but it's when they – the brief scene when they are in South America doing like a report on the scene in this like civil war and they get shot at and uh, Al, Albert Brooks is like complaining that he like risked his life for a network that tested his like his, his, his face <laughs> with audiences. Then he says, I don't feel good. <laughs> that is something I think to myself basically every day yeah. in his cadence. The I don't feel good. And then a great little line that actually comes back. Uh, Albert Brooks or uh, James Brooks doesn't often repeat himself. He's not Aaron Sorkin where he'll have like identical lines in movies. He'll have right. similar ideas that he has to then rewrite. And those ideas get less and less 
well written as the movies go on because he already did that idea, but he doesn't want to just use the same lines again. Um, I don't know if this one was an intentional callback or if it was um, subconscious, but I love in this movie when Jane gets all like verklempt over Tom kind of deciding to cancel uh, the second part of their date. And she just goes over a guy. Like, I can't believe I'm letting myself lose my composure over a guy. And then as in as good as it gets, uh, Jack Nicholson yep, over, a, over dog. a dog. Um, I love that sort of like it's, it's, it's half a verbalized thought that implies the first half of the thought. And it, mm-hmm. it's just such a great, a great character moment. There's so many is it's, it's just like beginning to end full of yeah. that. And I, I especially love the moment between, um, uh, wow, I forgot what Holly Hunter's name again Jane. in this. I forgot Jane. Yes. Jane. Uh, between Jane and Aaron, when they're sitting in the newsroom together and he goes, so you're not making this decision to go out with me because, uh, I didn't choose to stay with you at, at your, at the hotel room, you know, and that, moment of like again pausing to think about what to say that holly hunter has and she closes her eyes and just takes a breath like i'm like that's that's why i love movies for those real human moments and like throughout this movie i feel that you know and i think he he captures that so well but i do want to bring up um my my former co-host here can't stand the flash forward ending to this movie um Hmm. and i've heard mixed responses over the years to to the ending like did it could i to me would this been a better movie if it just faded out you know with holly hunter in the back of that taxi cab riding off all alone we don't know anything about the future of these characters at all no no because it if if your last moment with both aaron and tom is negative that is that's a judgment that is the movie saying if the Mm. last moment they leave you with is that these two guys are are bad that is the movie saying these guys are both bad and jane escaped from them and that's and that's (laughs) the ending um, and that's not okay. what he's doing. That's yeah. not what he's doing for the entire rest of the movie. That's true. Yeah. What he ends up doing is saying, like, you know, this is possible to to find a new page in your life and be happy with each other. Right. That you don't have to have such yeah. acrimony when things break down like this. You know, and it does. It breaks down for all of them. They all have kind of, yeah. they're all at the end of a certain chapter in their lives. And that and the interesting wrinkle of people who are professional colleagues in a business like that, if they engage in these sort of emotional relationships, you don't get to just say, I'm never going to see you again. Like, you are going to see these people forever, again. Yeah. And human beings yeah. find a way to cope and move forward if they are forced to. And I love that it comes mm-hmm. back to the end. You knew Jane and Aaron were going to kind of continue on as they were. You know, it's got... Yeah. Albert Brooks has this incredible line reading of, oh, no, we'll still see each other. And every five years at a dinner, we'll get the hots for each other and we'll never act on it. And just, yeah. I love, I love yeah. how much of a realist everybody is in this movie. Um, but it, it, it is like... <laughs> yeah. it, I think it is true to the spirit of the rest of the movie that we see them all um, 
friendly with each other again and able to move forward and able to continue uh, being professional colleagues and friends uh, in spite of or maybe because of they had this really intense uh, relationship years earlier. Um, I, 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 I think it would be a very different movie without the ending, and I think it would not... Uh, have as strong of a thesis but i do want to give props to brooks for including the alternate ending on that criterion uh blu-ray because i don't i wouldn't want that to be the ending at all (laughs) but that scene acted is just amazing to watch on its own like those two together in the back of that taxi cab I got, I got the chills. Oh, I mean, they're that. two of the best. Those uh-huh. are two. I mean, all three of them are three of the best. But uh, yeah. those th- those two are incredible. And God, my God, um, watching this movie, uh, you know, kind of sent me on a. I rewatched it actually, like just because I wanted to. A couple weeks into quarantine, it's one of my feel good movies, and and every time I watch this movie, I think about the run William Hurt had in the eighties, starting with his, his first leading yeah. role in altered States, which is an astounding performance. And then going of through course, kiss of the yeah. spider woman and the big chill and this movie and body. Heat. Oh, body. body heat. Fuck's sake. Body <laughs> heat. His, he, his run in the eighties is so fascinating. And the way he can imbue a big, tall square jawed blonde guy with, uh, so much subconscious work going on and so many insecurities and little bits like he's fascinating. I mean, apparently he, you know, he's not an uncomplicated pers- character in real life, but his man, his run in the eighties is just, and actually I've still never seen the one he won an Oscar. No, did he, he won for children of a lesser God. Right. And I've still never seen that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But his run in the eighties is just unreal. Spy- I feel like he might have been nominated for Kiss of the Spider Woman too. Yeah, did he get nominated for that? And Raul Jul, no, yeah, Raul Julia won for that. Raul yeah, won. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's but holy down there. Totally. Well, let's yeah, incredible. Let's move forward to the rest of his career. Um, <laughs> Do you really want? To? I. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> We've hit the highlights, Jim. The rest uh, are just weird. Yeah, I mean, I I like as good as it gets. I really do. I love it. I, Look, I love all of them. Don't get me wrong. I, there's something to enjoy you love about all, all of them. Of them. Uh, actually, I rewatched I'll Do Anything yesterday. Um, and that's kind of a fun movie. Mm. I like it's, I like that movie. Okay. It is. It's a little sloppy. It's obviously the story there is that it was going to be a musical and they had songs right. and it was it's so funny. Such a big part of. Such a big part of the movie, the plot of the movie, I'll Do Anything, is the Albert Brooks movie producer character dealing with bad test screenings. <laughs> and then <laughs> the the movie, I'll Do Anything, got completely changed because of a bad test screening is such a, yeah. a, a delicious um, meta me, 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 piece of meta trivia. Um, but yeah, honestly, um, it's the performances. As Ryan said, Liz, Brooks gets... The performances he's he gets, like even in a movie like I'll Do Anything, which is so kind of aimless and and a little bit sloppy, and again just weird, just unavoidably weird, just because they had to change it so much and kind of excise what it was the the device that it was built around. Um, Albert Brooks is great in that movie. Albert Brooks playing Joel Silver <laughs> is terrific. Yeah, he's got a more gravity uh, voice than he usually does. What an action movie producer. <laughs> like, he's great. 
Um, yeah. Julie Kavner is great. You never see her in movies. She's great in this. And Nick Nolte yeah. is great in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, no, I, I like, I like I'll do anything. I will. I'm a strong defender of this movie. I like, um, I like weird Nick Nolte. I like the fact that he's got like this weird, obnoxious daughter, <laughs> uh, that he has to like, you know, deal with every day. It's it's definitely a mess. I mean, I'll I'll grant that, but it's a it's kind of a lovely mess in a lot of ways. Like you can feel where the songs were supposed to be and that's kind of like a little off-putting. Like you can hear there's there's always a moment when you can feel that they're going to insert a song. Yeah, it's always it like preceded by However, a little bit more of a flourishy camera movement. Like the camera starts to go like yeah. whoa yeah. and then the scene ends you're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> Also, you can hear like Hans Zimmer step in and be like, "Okay, we need to like right. add something here to kind of fill out this emotion." But that said, I, f- you know, this was a thing in the early '90s. Everybody kind of did their own musical, and it was going to be a subversive musical. It's like you know, of course, Woody did "I'll Do Anything." Or everyone or says that, "I love you." Not "I'll Do Anything." He did "Everyone Says I Love You," mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 a great idea. It's overly ambitious, and I would say that honestly for. The rest of his movies, they are so overly ambitious because of, I think, the the kismet that he got from broadcast news that he spoiled himself with that one. He it knocked it out of the park. He it hit all bases that he was, you know, trying to put out there. And with each new movie, I, I hear what you're saying, Clay, that he finds it in the edit and that he's looking for the movie as he goes. But this is a big concept to do a Hollywood movie about Hollywood. That's a musical with a kid who's an obnoxious kid, kid actor. And it's about the kid actor becoming a kid actor. I mean, there's a lot going on in this that you're like, no one maybe could really pull this off. And yet, as you said, I find there to be great moments of weird awkwardness about, being in Hollywood, making a movie in Hollywood about Hollywood. This movie is as scathing at times as The Player was, which came out two years earlier. And everybody made a big deal that Altman was so edgy by, by, you know, cutting on this. This is even worse. I mean, the, the, the scene where they go down the list of like male actors who might be cast in this movie and this guy (laughs) shits on their looks is so fuck. And then to have Nick, Nick Nolte just loses shit. That's a great uh, scene. That's a great yeah. scene. It's so this is good. such a good, yeah. And then Jolie Richardson, who I think is actually yeah. really good in this movie, um, she's stuck in the middle. You mm-hmm. know, she feels for him. She likes him. It, it, there's kind of a broadcast news aspect to that as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, her character is very shaded and interesting and, and kind of... Uh, multifaceted you know there are times where you're like oh my god she's so annoying and on the other time you're like she's annoying because she's so excited and you could see you know i've been that way i've you know where you're like holy shit i want to talk to somebody about this right fucking now and i i need somebody and let me find you know this guy who's really hot who will be working on this that that wasn't the case in in this movie (laughs) it was the case (laughs) it's so delightfully Find me Nick Nolte. It's so delightfully inside baseball to make an inside baseball Hollywood movie that's like largely about junior development executives. It's like, totally. like it's it's he. There's been so many, like I said about the 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 player, Barton Fink. There's so many about Hollywood movies, and the fact that this one is about an out of work actor who like hangs around a production office and a producer dealing with test screenings is like he finds the most. 
like antiseptic kind of like not big big flashy areas of the business you could possibly make a movie about and uh and and yeah. it feels on it like again like it feels very very true to life it does not feel like he is embellishing anything um, yeah there's a thing with with james brooks movies that that you're touching on clay that i i find fascinating is there's you know again there we, we've talked about this a lot about the artifice of hollywood but it's as if he's doing that and doing a Hollywood movie to dig underneath of it and find what is actually underneath yeah. the artifice. And I find that in all of these movies, the most crazy one for me was Spanglish to me. I, I had not seen that movie before. This was a first time viewing for me. And I, uh, I, I, I liked it. I have to say, I, uh, <laughs> I, Ryan's it's the only one I couldn't get. Through. You know what? <laughs> Tia Leone, I can't. Like her oh, obnoxious, uh, shrill. I mean, I, yeah. I, I said no. I can't with this character. I just can't. Well, I, I think that's, I just, a, that's the first twenty minutes or so. I'm just like, if I have to deal with her for the rest of this movie, I can't go back to it. But I, <laughs> right. At the same time, I, I love Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, uh, Meyerowitz yeah. stories. You mode. got a Punch Drunk Love sure. poster right behind your head there. That's one of my favorite. But I movies. do, th I do think that Spanglish is is, you know, I, I mean, first of, I I know what you mean. The the character is is tough to to mm -hmm. watch and sit through. However, as in all James L. Brooks movies, these movies are not solely about any one person. They're very much about the full breadth of this family sure. and how they're and now how they're going through this business. And I do think, um, you know. The the Adam Sandler character weirdly for me ends up being just as obnoxious hmm. throughout the film, and I think that like they're all a little obnoxious. I think like Cloris Leachman is super fun because she's hammered yeah. the entire movie, <laughs> but this family is there's a problem in this in this family, and, and and I have to say that living in Los Angeles for as long as I have, I've seen these families everywhere. These families in the upper. Oh, yeah. Crust uh, neighborhoods of Los Angeles, there is an extremely, you know, extreme amount of wealth built around a skill that's very, um, you know, uh, curated. And, and, you know, obviously he's a brilliant chef in this. And so that's, you know, in throw a dime and you have a brilliant person in L.A., right, that's made a billion dollars off of some brilliant idea they, d they had back in the day. And there's tons of families like that. And I found the idea, just the concept that we're going to walk in, that we're going to spend two hours in this house when in the midst of them hiring a, 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 an immigrant to clean their house and have a relationship with her uh, and the messiness and yeah, just the, the weird shit that goes down amongst all of them, I found to be compelling. I found to be, you know, and, and maybe this wasn't intended to be a satire or it wasn't intended to be a bit of an indictment of these characters. But for me, that's what it ended up being. Mm. And I ended up just really enjoying that. Maybe because I had a bit of a Brooks, you know, we were doing this in the context of watching a bunch of James James yeah, Brooks no, that movies, makes sense. which I do think all have an element of this. You know, we've been talking about it. Um, yeah, but, but there's an underbelly that he's exposing to some degree. If there's you know? if there's a 
If there's people like Tia Leone out there in L.A., maybe I shouldn't visit. Oh, no, it's very... I don't know if I can it. As always, uh, Spanglish <laughs> is... The, the characters that he, he, he creates are very authentic feeling. I mean, this is... I love that one of his yeah. one of his topics that he really wanted to dig into was what's going on what's going on behind closed doors in Beverly Hills. It's like, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> but also when you're th- yeah, but Clay, all, on the other hand, when you're th- when you live such an insular yeah. life like that, where do you end up going by the time you're sixty three? You know, or sixty? You know what I mean? Saying like. It, it remind it's an interesting contrast with the next movie with how do you know because that is a movie about people that he knows right. nothing about no matter how much he researched them they end up being as shallow as any character i've seen him write i mean easily the most shallow characters of anything he's written are the two guys uh-huh. in that movie and they're all you know probably at that point 30 years younger than him 30 to 35 That's you know true. he's writing movies about people that he knows right. nothing about. Spanglish is and, the last one where you know, he's writing Spanglish, about what, what he knows. Something, yeah. yeah something, something personal. There. Yeah, I can see Yeah, that. and it's pretty fucking scathing, I have to say. Like, if there is a, a degree of, like, self-clarity uh, uh, in this movie with him, I think it's, it's, hmm. it's an amazing film. I just don't find <laughs> it know? very I, pleasant. It's, I mean, no. but again, like, I, I didn't rewatch <laughs> all there. of it. So, but I, I kind of want to anyway, but at the same time, I would agree that it's not pleasant, but I'd also agree that I'd also say that as good as it gets was not exactly a pleasant rewatch for me either. That was a fucking brutal movie to watch. Especially what happens with Greg Kinnear. I mean, God, oh, I mean, that's, he's, he's great in that movie, by the way. Greg Kinnear. The words that comes out of Melvin's mouth Mm -hmm. are harsh to watch in 2020. Yeah. There's a lot that's, and yet again, we know we know Melvin Udall. Everybody knows a Melvin Udall. They know him. They know he's that guy that can't shut the fuck up no matter where he goes. He has no filter, right? He has some degree of mental illness that's probably undiagnosed or, you know, and and it's just, it's wreaking havoc on his life and the lives around him. And again, not funny, yet in the same time, like that movie paints it like it's a romantic comedy. With a road trip and everything. That that movie is... I remember liking it. I rewatched it last night for the first time, probably since college. And yeah, Jack Nicholson in that movie is James L. Brooks uh, ultimate experiment with making, with redeeming an unlikable character. He's like, I've always been able to imbue kind of harsh characters with, with uh, an empathetic humanity. I'm going to now go for the brass ring and try and take the worst guy ever and make you want him to end up with a woman who is brilliant and perfect 30 years his junior by the end of the movie. And maybe in 1997, it worked. Watching it last night, by the end, I was like, fuck this dude. <laughs> like, yeah, Melvin does no, not redeem himself way. in a satisfactory way. Um, they should not all. end up together. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it's certainly like in that way, a bit of a romantic comedy. There's a fantasy like, you know, ending to it all. However, I do think that the journey to there, I mean, is littered with amazing scenes like the the movements of this movie, I think, are really like pretty great. Uh, mm -hmm. And I I think there's a lot to be said about not being so turned off um, from the get go that you're able to kind of 
humor this yeah. and see how far it goes. Maybe it ends in a very unrealistic place, but so what? I mean, to me, that's like kind of, I, I don't really care about that as much as the journey to get there. And I, again, you know, uh, especially now in 2020, in the wake of like so much conversation about mental illness and how we deal, I think, uh, and how we, we empathize with each other instead of judgment right away. I think that was what I ended up doing right away with this movie, recognizing his mental illness, not really laughing at it, um, seeing that it's deeply harmful and hurtful, seeing that he's not very diagnosed, that he's trying, he's not even medicated, you know, for obviously a, an extreme problem. Yeah. Um, to me, the fact that we are on that journey with him the entire movie and see dark shit go down and end up where we are. You're right. I think it's a bit of a feat. And I, I don't, I disagree. I think that it actually, I don't feel that anything was false in this movie, except for that very ending. I really don't. I think that all along the way, she's so contemptible towards him and she cannot stand him. If anything, it's the, you know, slow romance that kind of, is not exactly that's a, cooked, yeah i mean but, again there there are yeah. things that are inauthentic in this movie like when they go on the date and he has done nothing to endear himself to her uh but she sees him across the room and hans zimmer just like dials it up to 15 with this like swelling romantic theme and you're like the cognitive dissonance you're like wait that that's not what's happening right now. <laughs> what, what is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's in a suit for he the first time. He's in a suit time. for the first like, time. She's seeing he's him as a human. Uh, she, yeah. yeah, she's seeing him as something other than this awful creature that comes but, into uh, her life. But Greg Kinnear and, and Helen you, Hunt you know, are both you know. uh, uh, wonderful. Oh, for, the scenes with Helen Hunt and, and um, I forgot who plays her uh, mother. Shirley Knight. Famous. Yeah. Yeah. I love those moments. Yeah, together. they're great together. And mm-hmm. she just, yeah, I, I again, uh, uh, an actress that I didn't think too much of outside of well sitcom land with you know Man About You, she blew it out of the park with this performance. Yeah. I mean everybody's great yeah. in this movie. Everybody's great, uh, and it's w- watching it in 2020. Uh, it really um, stands out that it's sort of low key a movie about how um, health insurance ruins people's lives. <laughs> the health insurance industry, oh, yeah, both yeah. of H- Helen Hunt and uh, Greg Kinnear's lives are just being ruined. By that's true. Uh, the awful healthcare system in the United States. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. And yet, you know, and it's interesting too that Melvin is not again like he's just starting therapy. <laughs> you know, with with who is yeah, that? Lawrence Kasdan as his therapist. <laughs> oh, the cameos in this Super movie. Weird. We've got we've got Kasdan. We've got Ramus. Uh, Maya Rudolph yeah. is not a cameo. She's just a young actor with no lines. Uh, she pops up in this. Right. Shane Black is the manager of the cafe. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well. But yeah, no, it's it's a star-studded it's, cast. Yeah, I again, I don't buy the ending, but I pretty much enjoy spending time with all these people. That's true of pretty much all of James L. Brooks's movies, including How Do You Know, which... I don't know. I kind of like it. And maybe again, did you maybe again, I'm realizing a theme here where it's just like, I'm starting to sound repetitive, but just the joy of seeing, you know, Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon together. I, they're, cause I've loved them since the beginning of their careers practically. And you big, um, overnight I, delivery fan. <laughs> I haven't thought of that in forever. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, no, but like, how do you know? Was, the, was the reunion? It was the, it was the overnight delivery reunion. That's true. That's very true. 
I think it's just them being awkward in James L. Brooks land. It works for me. I mean, again, I know you're mentioning that, that these, these characters are pretty shallow and God, Owen Wilson's kind of obnoxious in this. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think it was maligned for reasons I can't quite understand because everything about it kind of works for me. I mean, I didn't hate it. Again, I watched the whole thing and I, I really did enjoy it as I was watching. I just kind of recognized there's a difference for me with this yeah, one sure. than the rest. I can see that for sure. Um, I don't I wouldn't put know, it up there with his best work. Yeah. But it has a broadcast news kind of feel towards it with the way that the three of them are operating, you know, mm-hmm. sort of Owen Wilson is the William Hurt character, but he's just not as well-rounded. No, it's as less subtle. How do you know is a much um, more jokey broad Hollywood broad, movie yeah. all the way down to the cinematography. I mean, this is his first movie that I don't really like the look of it's Janus who, when Janus is not working oh, yeah. with Spielberg, it just looks so artificial yeah. <laughs> and overlit and glossy overlit. For oh sure. my God. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, no, this is, this is certainly a less incisive film. Um, but look, James L. Brooks, this is part of his magic is beyond the, like the big picture stuff. He can just he he's one of the best with dialogue with I mean, yeah. on a scene to scene basis, a bad scene written by James L. Brooks is going to be much better than most people's good scene, even if in the context of the movie, it's not working. You just look at the lines. They're always going to be funnier, more clever. There's some great gags in this movie, which he doesn't usually do like capital J joke gags. Um, but like mm-hmm. Owen Wilson's character being exceptionally dim-witted more so than a usual James L. Brooks character gives him some leeway to do jokes like the, you know, I, let me read my note when you left me. I was so upset. I broke a lamp and she's like, okay, read the note. And he's, and then they just cut, they show the note and it says, when you left, I was so upset. I broke a lamp. He's like, well, that that's what I wanted to say. Like that's man, that is an A plus gag that includes some visual humor. That is not something you would normally see. It's a little bit too dialed up of a gag for a James L. Brooks movie, but I'm glad he got to do that. Yeah. A, a little right. Bit. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It is dialed up quite a bit and maybe some moments people can dismiss as being a little sitcom or whatever, but there's, there's still a sweetness to it. Like that scene in the hospital room with, is it Catherine Hahn? I think is in this. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Hahn. That's a really great yeah, scene. I really love that moment. And again, that is a really fun scene. I, I, I found that, that enjoyable. Um, and Reese Witherspoon, I think is amazing. Like, I really think yeah. she is the character that, that Brooks is interested in. Well, she's in. the one that <laughs> he know, spent the... three years, uh, like, um, doing, doing research on professional female softball players. <laughs> and it's not a big, part yeah, of the it's movie, not a big part really. of the movie at all. Yeah. No, but the idea that she is kind of beyond her prime and she's yeah. still so young and beautiful is kind of an interesting like thing. And then, juxtapose that with the strange Paul Rudd, Jack Nicholson subplot about a guy who's literally trying to date somebody while he's being indicted for like tax fraud. That's a whole interesting, like, yeah, that's pretty heavy (laughs) for him to deal with. It's just so wild. Like, and it comes up sometimes and then you kind of forget about it for a while. And then you're like, Oh, right. He's going to, is he going to jail? I can't quite tell. Like it was, it was a little wild. Originally uh, Bill Murray was supposed to play his dad, but I guess it was like a couple days into shooting and he just decided not to show up. <laughs> so James L. Brooks was like, got on the phone with Jack Nicholson, please help. 
I need you right now. We're filming. We need you to be the dad right away. Well, it's funny. I feel like that's part of the issue, to be quite honest, because you do have these long, drawn-out scenes of Paul Rudd and Jack Nicholson getting in trouble, figuring out how to get out of it. And you're sort of curious as to why it's happening. And a lot of the problem for me is that Nicholson's just at this point kind of too old to sell this part. Like it's, there's not a, it's not a very nuanced performance whatsoever. You get no father son vibe no. from the two of no. them. Whereas Bill Murray would actually be interesting. I mean, there would be moments of tenderness between the two. There would be kind of the dickhead Bill Murray Scrooge <laughs> character there. Like you could see how they could develop at least a subplot that would be worth sort of the overall thrust of this movie, which feels like what happens after your life right. just falls apart, you know, yeah. like what do you do with the, in the wake of that? So it's like, there's a great movie there somehow, but somehow it just doesn't quite work out. And yeah, like Owen Wilson is weird to me. Just a, he is weird. <laughs> just a weird performance. <laughs> yeah. He's so weird, but, but you're right. I did like it. Yeah. You know, it's not like I didn't like it. It's just, it's such a strange. It's just one of those movies too, where when it came out, everybody I knew, hated it even people who love reese witherspoon romantic comedies they were just like uh-huh. oh i couldn't get through that it was awful I'm like well right. i guess they- i kind of feel that way about spanglish <laughs> i'll watch it yeah. again I, I we all have our own brooks yeah film you know yeah for sure i mean i i really want to see the director's cut of i'll do anything that like a couple of critics that have seen it say it's amazing you know like there's yeah. like i heard that's un- never come out because of prince i think yeah, he wrote yeah. all the songs in his state. It's a really, ton of yeah, yeah. But uh, Prince, I want the soundtrack. I, I got it. James L. Brooks <laughs> Prince musical. I know it was Twyla Tharp doing the choreography. Yeah, the ins- again, the it's two amazing. other inside baseball jokes that I love in uh, "I'll Do Anything" is in the Flash, the beginning that's set earlier. When Nick Nolte's like, I, I'm going to get this part. I can feel it. Uh, it's ki- Kiss of the Spider Woman. It's down to me and Raul Julia. And I just think, like, I've got it. I've got this part. <laughs> and then, Ryan, that scene you mentioned when they're listing off all of the Hollywood actors who would be awful in an action movie. They say Tommy Lee Jones. And yeah. it is, what, two years before he wins the Oscar for The Fugitive? Fugitive. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I know. It's incredible. If you want to sneak in your love of U.S. Marshals, right here you can. Oh, he should have won yes. two Oscars for playing Sam Gerard. He should have won a supporting, and then he should have won a lead. Okay. Exactly. Jim, Jim, you're enabling right okay. now. I understand. I understand. Well, guys, this was a blast. I am so happy yeah. that you came on. Uh, it's a great way to end the year since I adore your show and James L. Brooks. Uh, we can wrap up things here. I forgot to mention this in the email but we end the show with your top three picks and i don't think it'll be that hard oh, from the from the <laughs> filmography yeah well that number yeah, three yeah. I'm, I'm, my recent rewatches really rearranged three. my number three yeah that's the that's obviously the one the big one what, what could it be you know so what I'll, I'll go first just for the heck of it but okay um number three is as good as gets and number two is terms of endearment and number one is broadcast news Ryan, I'm still I'm still waffling Clay. a little bit. Do you have yours locked and loaded? Okay, of, of, totally, of course. Uh, I'm going to go with a broad broadcast news, uh, terms of endearment. You and went from Spangler. one to three. Wow, one to three. So okay. the opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So my yeah, it's all yeah. good. 
People can figure I mean, that out. I yeah, my, my number one is broadcast news. Number two is terms of endearment. And the number three, I don't know. I think as good as it gets is a is a better movie overall. But at, by the end of it, I was just left feeling I I I. I was not with with Ryan on this. I don't feel good about the message of the movie in relation to Melvin by the by the end. He redeems himself a little good. bit. But ah man, it was just it, I I was left with a little bit of a sour taste. I think maybe tied with I'll do anything. I was surprisingly charmed by I'll do anything. Um so I'm guess I'm going to cheat and say my 3 is a tie between as good as it gets Boo. and I'll do anything. Okay, Jim. Say he has to pay. Jim allowed it, right? It's over. I I I get to see. It's ridiculous. Well, thanks again, guys. This was a blast. Thank you so much for being on. Tell people more where they can find you on Twitter, Twitter, Letterbox, all that good stuff. Uh, Oh well, first of all, thank you for having us on. Uh, It's a delight. Ryan and I don't get um, as many opportunities anymore, given the structure of our show, to uh, to just go off. So this was uh, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. was fun, <laughs> um, but you can find the show uh, uh, everywhere podcasts are. Screen drafts, um, punch it into anywhere as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, what have you. It's on Google, whatever their podcast thing is. Amazon has a podcast hosting mm-hmm. service now, so it's it's all over all the right. place. Um, yeah. And we we're on social media at Screen Drafts on everything: uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Letterboxd, we've got a Patreon where you do bonus episodes and stuff, but uh, that's where you can find the show, and I'm just at Clay Keller on uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Marker Ryan 625. Marker, Marker Ryan, Ryan 625. 625. 625. Yeah. Got a big 2021 coming up. Got a few good episodes in January. Yes. Yeah, there's so much to look forward to. Yeah, we've got our Shakespeare Part 2 is coming up. And Westerns which is, which uh, Part 3, is that coming Westerns too? Part 3, just Westerns recorded Part 3 that. will yeah, be so um, posting, as we record this, posting tomorrow night. So it'll be, that'll be Excellent. fresh, yeah. fr- okay. fresh in the feed. And that is a, it is wild, a wild ride. I'm sure it is. I think it's our second longest <laughs> episode. We got to stop doing these oh, record-setting wow. length episodes. It's, 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 it's too, much. too much. It's too much. Yeah. Um, but then... And it, it, is Billy Billy Ray involved with that one? Yes, Billy Ray and okay. Darren yeah. and uh, Drea Clark. It's a it's a it's a great group. Wow. Uh, and then if you yeah. if you like listening to Ryan and I, the next one that we're doing is uh, the Christmas Eve episode, uh, Christmas with a K R I S T, uh, in honor of Kristen Stewart. Where every Christmas we do a Kristen oh. Stewart adjacent uh, draft. This year we're doing the Olivier Assayas super draft, which means we're doing all of them. Every Olivier Assayas movie. <laughs> This is this couldn't be more perfect because I was going to say next year around the same time, would you guys like to come back for Olivier? Asa- uh, I can't even say his name all of a sudden. Asayas. We're just learning it. I've always said Asayas, and I believe it is actually Asayas. Um, Asayas. Yeah. I need to cover him on Directors Club. Oh, it's, please oh, look. Yeah. Way um, too long. I'm sure that by this time He's next year, I will be more than ready to revisit. Uh, Great, Olivier. Because <laughs> there's so many I need to see. I need to see. Oh, I could, he has such a weird. What have I seen? Weird. I've only seen Summer Hours, Personal Shopper, and Clouds of Sils Maria. Hey, so those are some of his need, some of his greatest. Lot, but um, I would yeah. say I think right now Irma Vep is also on Criterion Channel. So oh, I would check yeah, that out. Oh, and Carlos, that. Carlos and Irma Vep are both on Criterion Channel as well right now. So I would definitely 
So is Cold Water. Oh, Cold Water also. Cold Water, one of his early films. A lot of his stuff right now is on is on the channel. Yeah, and as far as this show goes, uh, for January, believe it or not, it's the tenth anniversary of this podcast, which is weird. Congratulations! Uh, Yeah, I don't know how I've kept it going as long as I have. Well, there's been a lot of breaks (laughs) along the way (laughs) because there were just things happening. It's like career enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, exactly like that. But uh, I'm bringing back two of my favorite people for two very special episodes. Uh, One will be about my top favorite my top 50 favorite films uh which we did in 2010 but obviously with the amount of things i've seen since then it's changed quite a bit so uh that's exciting and the other will be a surprise that you'll just have to wait and see until then just be sure to visit directorsclubpodcast.com send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com and visit me on letterboxd at now playing jim Ryan Clay, thanks again. Oh, stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thank you, of course. Be safe. It's me, Marilyn Ricecup. Um, Punch Drunk Love. One of your top 20 favorite movies. What are the other 19? I hope they're all movies that I was in. I don't even think I was in 19 movies, but um, yes, PTA is simply the best, and um, I had a great time making that movie. I was actually cast from hanging out with him socially ish we both hung out at the same club and I would perform and we had friends in common and he did a really cool thing which was he called me I think it was in Adam Sandler's backyard and PTA said would you come and read through this out loud with me and it was a real smooth way of auditioning me and seeing if he liked what I would do with the part and making sure maybe that I wouldn't freak out or that I would be a good match with Adam Sandler. And um, it was a really wonderful experience. PTA is an amazing mixture, at least for the particular stuff that I did with him, of meticulous well I would say this is probably pretty true across the board he is meticulous but also so um open and free and lets you be free with what you're doing I mean we did that scene where I come to the warehouse uh marching in and have that conversation so many times 
like I can't believe how many times. So we did it word for word and then we went way off, way off, many, 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 many takes and then we ended up back on book again. So you kind of lose your mind and you get so into the character and you do the character different ways and then you, it's almost like every iteration that could have happened with that energy and around and back again. Um, and I remember him working with Adam to get that performance out of him and that was exciting to see. Also, Emily Watson and I were probably the quietest people on set, especially when we were in the scene with the rest of those sisters who it seems like you're probably a pretty big movie buff. So you, or maybe everybody who watches Punch Drunk Love would know this, but I'm assuming that you know that those sisters were real sisters that he booked, um, which was a really interesting way to go. And I, to this day, have not been in a situation that created that sort of like tense atmosphere with everybody talking over each other. And I thought that was such a um, strange, unique, yet completely relatable dynamic to have. Um, I love working with PTA. Uh, yeah, he is simply the best across the board, I agree, and I'm lucky enough to know him personally a bit, and uh, I'm trying to think back to my limited time on the set. We had to go back and do reshoots, and I also will say that he brings such an integrity to what he does that everybody on the set adheres to... Um, his, um, it, the, the climate that he creates. They all know that they're working for him and they're making a great piece of art. And I've been on many different types of set and it's very rare that somebody creates a culture like that and you know that you're a part of it and you know that you need to respect him and not let them down. It's kind of a weird thing to describe, but it's almost like if you're at the epicenter where the acting is happening, he has such respect for the scene and the process that it reverberates out to the, um, you know, the grips and the transpo people that are out in the trucks. I've been on so many projects where, you know, everybody's all over the place and some people think they're more important and, um, you just knew that you were there to make this film and to be respectful of that and of his process and everybody I think was, is proud to be working with him because he creates that just by the specificity and um, the quality of his vision. Um, so that's exciting and yeah, it was um, one of the best experiences of my career, not easy. Um, kind of exhausting. It requires uh, dedication, but super, super fun. And I would do it again in a hot second. I would drop everything if I had the chance. Um, thank you for asking. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Um, Happy New Year. I wish you health, happiness, love, peace to you and everyone that you care about. Thanks, Jim. All the best.